Service and Subservience, the Fateful Heir of Nadav and Avihu. On the day of the inauguration of the Mishkan, the entire people gather together. Aaron, the high priest, prepares the offerings and places them upon the Mizbeach, the altar. A heavenly fire descends from the heavens and consumes the offerings, sanctifying God's name. As the Pasuk reads, we're in Vayikra 9.24, Tet Chavdalad Vatetze Eish, Milifne Adonai Vatochal Al Mizbeach, Et HaOlah Vet HaChalavim, Vayar Kolaam Vayaronu Vayiplu Alpenehem. So fire went forth from before Hashem, and it consumed the burnt offerings and the fats upon the altar. And the people saw, they sang praises, and they fell upon their faces. The next Pasuk reads, Vayichu v'nei Haron, nadav avihu ish machtato, vayitnu v'han eish, vayasimu aleha ketoret, vayikruvu lifnei Aronai ish zara, asher lo tzivahotan. So Aaron's sons took Nadav and Avihu, each one took their fire pan, and they put upon it fire, and they placed upon it ketoret, and they brought before Hashem a strange fire of which they were not commanded. So following this miraculous occurrence of a fire descending from, uh, from heaven and beginning the process of the bringing of offerings on the Mizbeach and the Mishkan, Two of our own sons each take a fire pan, place incense upon them, and then they place what's described as a strange fire on the pans and approach the Mizbeach. As they approach, a fire descends from heaven, and they both die on the spot. This is a disturbing episode, and it begs explanation. What was the nature of the heir of Nadav and Avihu, and why did, it, why did it deserve such a severe and public response? So the tour in his commentary explains Asher Lutzivautam. It's a very difficult uh, tour to make uh, sense of and parse, but he says, In lomar zara. When it says they were not commanded, it doesn't mean they were not commanded to bring a strange fire, because apparently that would be superfluous. And they were also not commanded not to bring uh, an offering. And I, this is this double negative is weird, but I think what he's getting at is the fact that there is there was not a specific command not to bring it. Though there's some sub-commentators that disagree with this point and say there was a specific command given in Shemot and Perak Lamed. Um, but uh, either way, the explanation that the tour is is emphasizing here is Elaperush Asher Tsivui Tsivesi. So translating that would be rather the explanation is the com- there was a commandment or a lack of a commandment I think I think is what he's saying there was no commandment directed at them and he quotes this pasuk from Devarim in Yud Zion Gimel which reads it's talking about if you find a person in your mixed among the Jewish community who's serving other gods and he bows to them or to the Son of the moon, or any of the hosts in the sky, of which I did not command that you worship them. So in other words, even that Pasuk is emphasizing the fact that he is worshiping these gods of which there was no commandment to worship. So yes, the sun and the moon are inspiring, but God did not command us to worship them.
So the Torque seems to be explaining here that the issue was this was an offering that was not commanded. So the tour focuses on the words asher lo otam, right? Of which they were not commanded. He explains that their error was not that they disobeyed a specific commandment. Rather, their action was not based on a commandment at all. They acted based on their own volition. Now, what is so wrong about acting on their own volition in this context? To understand this, let's examine a recurrent theme in the messages of the prophets. They have expressed a degree of skepticism, one might say even criticism, toward the Jewish people's sacrifices and offerings in the temple. We find a poignant example of this in the book of Shmuel. King Shaul is commanded, this is in the 15th parak, parak Tetvav, 15th chapter, King Shaul is commanded to wipe out the nation of Amalek. He is instructed by Shmuel the prophet to destroy everything and spare nothing. At the time of the battle, however, Shaul spares the best of the sheep and the king of Amalek, Agag. And then some say uh, even, uh, even others, such as uh, women. In defense, Shaul explains that his intention was to bring those animals that they had spared to Hashem as an offering. Shmuel responds sharply, and he says, So when Shmuel said, does Hashem desire these offerings and zivachim, other peace offerings, as much as listening to the word of Hashem? Behold, listening is more important than a nice sacrifice. To pay attention carefully is better than the fat of rams. So Rav Hirsch elaborates further, and he explains in his commentary on the Haftar of Zachor that sacrifices are a means. They are designed and given us to us by Hashem as a means toward a particular ends. Those ends, in the words of Rav Hirsch, is, quote, the fulfillment of God's will in God-fearing obedience, end quote. In this instance, King Shaul ignored and actually undermine the overarching objective of offerings by focusing myopically on the means, on these offerings as a particular means. He disobeyed the divine directive, using the offerings effectively as an excuse. As a result, Shaul lost his kingship and his kingdom. Throughout history, the Jewish people have used their quote-unquote religious activities to obscure their incorrect and at times immoral behavior. Reverse further explained in his commentary on Vayikra here in Parshat Shmini, in chapter 10, verse 1. And he says as follows, Now, quote, now as regards this disastrous offering of Nadan Avihu, the Torah stresses above all else that it was one which God had not commanded them to make. Even if the details of the offering had not been forbidden, as we have seen they indeed were, the mere fact that this offering had not been commanded by God would have been sufficient to make it forbidden. In the service of the offerings, there is no place for subjective arbitrariness. Even the free will offerings must comply with prescribed forms. One who brings an offering seeks closeness to God, but this can be attained only through obedience to God and acceptance of the yoke of his commandments. This is precisely the point that separates Judaism from paganism. The pagan, through his offering, seeks to make his deity subservient to his will, while the Jew, through his offering, places himself in the service of God and accepts upon himself the yoke of his commandments. Hence, all offerings in Judaism are formulas of divine imperatives, and the offerer, through his offering, undertakes to adopt the divine imperative as his guiding light. 
offerings of one's own of one's own devising would be a subversion of that very truth which the offering is intended to represent. Such offerings would glorify personal caprice instead of obedience to God and acceptance of the yoke of his commandments. Now we understand the death of our own sons. Their death at the time of the first dedication of the sanctuary is a warning to all future kohanim. It bars all arbitrariness, all personal caprice from the precincts of the sanctuary, whose whole purpose is to be a sanctuary for the Torah. In Judaism, the priest's function is not to introduce innovations in the service, but to carry out God's command. End quote. Now, when Nadav and Avihu chose to bring their own offering, which they were not commanded, they were undermining the original and primary purpose of bringing offerings in the sanctuary. On the day of the Mishkan's inauguration, in front of the entire people, this distortion required correction. Nadav and Avihu died publicly, sending a message. As Rav Hirsch explains, the underlying premise of bringing a formal offering is a recognition of God's will and an awareness that this ultimate reality has bearing on our lives. The definition of an act of service requires an acceptance of the divine will and an acceptance of the divine parameters for its performance.